All right, folks, we've got a new section that we're debuting on the show tonight. Welcome to Be Here Now, an Oasis B-Sides conversation. Jordan Eschberger is going to take us through a couple of his favorite B-Sides from Oasis and tell us about the world of Oasis B-Sides. Jordan. Can I say one thing sure. before you start, Thank- Jordan? Be Here Now, it's the letter B. It's not B. Just because right. that doesn't come through on audio so well. It doesn't. So they- and that's a reference to the third Oasis record, too, for those yeah. who aren't tracking. Yeah. So that's the play on yours yeah it's like when i tell my kids a joke i have to explain why it's funny there's a link to the playlist in the show notes so definitely check it out on spotify uh unfortunately just spotify only um so if you're a spotify user uh go follow that playlist and check out jordan's uh oasis b-side selections but jordan sure so yeah yeah so i think so i proposed this to, to kale when we were talking about this um episode in and I just think it, it bore mentioning the the volume and quality of B-sides that Oasis was putting out at this time. And I think it's fair to say that their B-sides for the first three records are um, are outstanding. And in the opinions of many, uh, they should be uh, several of those songs should be on should be you know on the records or even singles themselves. So uh, yeah, so the playlist that Kale's alluding to is basically just a collection of of the B sides that are from the two records we're talking about uh, uh, on this this episode. Um, and, and and what to say? I mean, I think it's a bit of a mix, as, as would be the case with any uh, B side collection. Some are um, similar to, to tracks, you know, kind of acoustic-y, uh, and some are like on kind of punk rock ragers um like head shrinker um off the some might say single uh, but then others are just epic tunes like the master plan which is kind of in the uh don't look back in anger um kind of big ballad tune uh then there's others like rock and chair and talk tonight which are acoustic and, and really kind of introspective uh tunes uh, if i had to kind of pick a couple of my uh favorites if i had to pick you know one from from each uh, record that we're talking about tonight. Um, first of all, the song Acquiesce, which was, I think, like the single off of the B-Sides compilation, the master plan that came out, is just an epic Oasis tune. They played it at, um, you know, I think many or most uh, gigs after they had written that song. And it's, it's, it's a neat song um, where the two brothers kind of a duet or a call and response between uh, Noel and Liam. Uh, and very much a song that it feels like it's about brotherhood. They're sort of singing to each other about how they need uh, each other. And so I think uh, a lot of fans have, you know, certainly wanted it to be as if the brothers are singing to each other and, and, and their relationship, but it seems to be about kind of like brother and sisterhood and sort of um, more like the, the universal sort of family um, uh, that we, that we all do end up needing each other at the end of the day. Uh, so it's a bit bigger uh, in theme, but anyhow, beautiful uh, and stomping uh, rock tune. Um, so that's, I think that's probably like the the best, or that and the master plan, I think you could argue are like the, the best tracks uh, from the um, What's the Story Morning Glory sessions. But I would also want to um, make a plug for Round Our Way, which is on the um, Wonderwall single. And it's the song I've always liked, and I know they played it at their Earl's Court gig, so for any big oasis fans um and i'm sure they played it lots uh, around that time um but i remember it from that uh from the live footage of those shows uh super fun tune but in the research for this uh podcast came to learn that it's basically oasis's 
owed to or tribute to the Northern Soul music. And so they're they're picking up on and, and uh, kind of, I think, paying respects to uh, the Northern Soul um, movement in Manchester uh, that they would have grown up uh, around a bit. So it's, I didn't know that, and, and that makes that song way cooler for me. So uh, Round Our Way in in uh, on the Wonderwall, yeah, as a Northern Soul tribute is like actually incredibly cool. So, uh, so that's probably my like my new favorite of the group. And then <clears throat> I'll skip to just the the B sides of uh, Don't Believe the Truth. There's a lot fewer. There's fewer singles in that record, uh, and so the B sides are also fewer. Um, but if you're interested in, in listening to these, uh, so I love the tune and always have loved the tune Eyeball Tickler. Which is on the the, the Lila single. Uh, it's just an absolute punk punk rock song. It's like Head Shrinker, um, uh, also just a, a punk tune. But that one written by uh, Gem Archer, who is um, I'm sure we'll talk about these guys. But he was the the guitar player to join the band in sort of like the second major iteration of uh, of Oasis. And and in that iteration, there are people who are writing the songs other than Noel, basically. And uh, Gem's a really cool dude uh, and wrote some great Oasis songs. Uh, but Eyeball Tickler is one of them, just a rager. And then Pass Me Down the Wine is also um, just a, I don't know, just a kind of a mid-tempo acoustic song, but just kind of like a, a cool a cool tune uh, as well. So that's what I'll say. But, I'll, but for, for anybody who's like interested in Oasis or or is interested in investing in the band a bit more, their B-sides are really worth playing att- uh, paying attention to. I made this little list from these two records, but on the Oasis Spotify profile, there's another like kind of, catalog of the b-sides but they're they're just great and some amazing covers if i you know if i ever get invited back to this podcast again it's time to do an oasis conversation i'd love to talk more about even their covers um so they just yeah they just put out a ton of music and and just all the stuff's great yeah and i, I can't believe oh, sorry go ahead yeah, we go. i can't believe that all of those b-sides are just from the two records i looked at the playlist and i thought oh these have to be from the first three records and i was like no, oh, no. it's over an hour of B-sides. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's just, that's just those. And most of them are from What's the Story Morning Glory. And there's like almost quite as many, you know, there's a t- also a lot for Definitely Maybe, and there's a ton of B-sides for Be Here Now. And the Be Here Now ones are also super good. And um, I mean, my favorite off that, no one's asking, but um, I, they do a David uh, Bowie uh, cover of Heroes, uh, which... Oh, I didn't know they did a cover like, of Heroes. That's cool. It, it, yeah, it's so good. Um, absolutely. Like just so great so yeah check that out too yeah the list you made i listened to a few times and was like okay there's so much here to get into there's so many things i didn't even know oasis would do um or would places they'd go you know and so i was like okay i want to listen to this again but i ended up uh spending more time with uh you know just going back to don't believe the truth because as we'll get into that was a record i was not very familiar with but yeah, this is something I, I like. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to like digging in a bit and searching on the internet, going on the the uh, the Reddit forum and stuff. It seems to be a pretty big topic for Oasis fans: the B sides and you know the harder to find B sides and the more uh, yeah more rare parts of the collection. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think it, it seems that not only like just as a band who kind of went extra like the design of those first three records having this aesthetic that was so um i think in ways kind of iconic and then making your b-sides arguably as strong or in some cases stronger than your singles is just like an unheard of gangster move so um 
uh, yeah, I mean, to have that, to be that prolific and to be able to crank out, you know, would be, should be hit songs um, like that is just, you know, it's, it's kind of unheard of, I think. So why don't we, why don't we jump into uh, Don't Believe the Truth, our second album of the night. Fast facts, fast facts, only worst facts. Don't Believe the Truth is the sixth studio album by English rock band Oasis. It was released on May 30th. I know I kind of get into this like, and he's rounding second. It's uh, like hard it. to see if Gallagher's going to get into third, but oh, he's taking it. He's he's made it I like third. it. I like it. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to start up the date again. It was released on May 30th, 2005 by Big Brother Recordings. It hit number one in the UK albums chart, and it was the highest Oasis had ever reached since Be Here Now. It's also important to note that Liam Gallagher had a larger impact on the album, and Noel has said that this album is his favorite of Oasis's last four because all members contributed to it. To date, the album has sold more than 6 million copies worldwide. And that is Fast Facts. Fast Facts. Wow, that's a lot of records. For being your sixth record. Yeah, so I mean, I'll maybe just jump in with a bit of rationale for, for why this record. So, I mean, so this, for me, kind of personal reasons, I mean, this record felt like a big record for me, um, just in my own, like, Oasis journey. Um, but also because just looking back at sort of the timeline, I mean, this record came out 10 years after What's the Story, Morning Glory. So it's kind of the, I don't know, it's a decade after the the, the coming out of that that you know, their biggest record ever, um, but uh, but also yeah, like Kale had said, it felt like a, a a return to form, and I think sort of reinvigorated the kind of the Oasis uh, fan base um, out there. But also, as I mentioned, it has a, a you know a, a different lineup. So after Be Here Now, uh, Bonehead and Gigzy uh, left the band, and then shortly thereafter, uh, Alan White, the, the drummer, uh, left the band, and so they basically restocked uh, Oasis. And this record, I think, really um, captures that version of Oasis at their best. So uh, it's kind of like one Oasis record when they're at their best with one lineup, and then this record when I think they're at their best with this, this second lineup. So, uh, And then there's the 10-year sort of gap between them. So it's kind of the tale of two Oasises. Yeah, I think it was a really cool choice. I think it really, for me, it, it shows... Mm-hmm. Really, two sides of uh, of the of the coin, you know. Really, two different uh, iterations for sure, but two different, uh, almost um, two different ideologies behind making a record and 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 uh, songwriting. Would uh, you be able to just explain a little bit for the listeners at home and and myself? Uh, why was there? Like if you had to give us the spark notes version of why there was this big upheaval and and shift, you did say the band became a lot more corporate, but was there any like sort of inciting incident that made all these changes happen? Or was it more of a progression of things just sort of slowly shifted and people kind of fell off? Yeah, was, I, I think, I mean, so it's, it's an interesting question. And I think um, all of them are seemingly kind of different episodes and like they happened at different times. Um as I recall, so uh, Gigsy uh, was the bass player on uh, the first three Oasis records, but he'd quit once before 
uh, something like anxiety and just, I think, finding the touring schedule just a lot and the personalities of the, the two brothers a lot. And so he left, came back, uh, but then ended up leaving again. And then Bonehead, uh, who's the rhythm guitar player, um, he's he's kind of like friends forever with, with Liam in particular uh, and goes way back. Um, but after... I actually don't know exactly when he quit. And I don't think it was quite as dramatic, but he just seemed to kind of be over it. Then Alan White, from what I remember reading about, he sort of ended up going through a divorce and stressed out and maybe missing a couple practices and, and this kind of thing. And so then they, they stacked him too. So it was, um, and, I, and I think a lot of it has had to do with a lot. Of, I mean, going back to the original, the first drummer for Oasis, um, he basically got fired because the songs got too hard. You know, they got, songs got more complicated and eventually the, the players got moved out. And I think sometimes part of it was the songwriting or the, the ambitions of the band stretching beyond the capabilities of, of certain members at certain times. And so certain guys in the band feeling it quite stressful to try to keep up. Um, and so as you'll see, or as, as ended up happening, the players who came into Oasis for the second kind of major iteration are um, the band lost certainly some soul um, in the, with the first group, uh, and then ended up getting stronger musicians uh, and more competent songwriters in their own right also. Uh, but yeah, I think sacrificed a bit of that sort of, um, wasn't the same group that came up together. These were not quite, you know, session musicians or whatever. These were guys with definite sort of street cred and whatnot, but they're players. So uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's basically the story as best as I can tell it. Well, and crazy to think, too, that these guys, you know, joined Oasis when it was like it was Oasis, like when they're one of the biggest bands in the world, yeah. you know, that's yeah. uh yeah. Well, and Kale mentioned earlier today, I think by text message, that this sort of reminded him of um, listening to Velvet Underground's Loaded. And, and it's weird okay. how many parallels there are, because it is like Loaded is sort of like everyone's playing drums and bass and guitar. Everyone's kind of switching and then, like, the right. songwriting duties are being shared uh, more. And and there's also kind of, um, with Loaded, you listen to it, and you're like, oh, the album's so good. I love it. But then you're also like, there's just something about it that doesn't feel like Velvet Underground. And there's definitely a mm -hmm. bit of that in here where you're like, this doesn't feel like mm. the other Oasis that I know. It feels, like, different. Yeah, yeah. It feels very yeah, 100%. Different. Um, you know, when this record came out, I, like, I was in such a different place than you were, you know, from the, the time I had really enjoyed them you know, from a distance, I, at this point, didn't really care. And I said at the beginning, um, a friend of mine, Matt, bought the record. He was, he was an Oasis fan. And I remember the song Lila. I remember thinking that was like, oh, that's a really well-written song. And I, I just thought, it's Oasis still, but it's like something different about it. Um, I like that it's more humble production-wise. It's more, I wouldn't call it stripped down, but there's, there's less going on in most songs mm -hmm. and I like that a lot of the songs and again this is something like Jordan you, you know way more but from the first three four records what I know of them th this um the band sits in a pocket a lot of the songs like dynamically there's a little bit more of a, a groove like they kind of do one thing through a song and build on that which is a yeah. different type of songwriting yeah, yeah, yeah. That's songs like Mucky yeah. Fingers or um, yeah, what's the other one. Uh, well, Lila would be another one. 
Yeah. They sort of like... Meaning of Soul. Yeah, Meaning of Soul. That's the other one. They, they sort of just build on this kind of like driving beat. And it's, yeah. it seems like it was a new place for Oasis to go. And it, it feels very like a great choice um, because it, it sort of gave them some new energy. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting, Lucas. Did you did you did you feel like they had a different type of energy going through this record? Uh, for, for compared, Do you feel like they had energy going through it? I should say compared to what's the story, Morning Glory. It almost feels like there's almost more energy, like in, in a musically. It's it's um, maybe because they trimmed some of the fat, and they're not weighed down by some of those production things they were doing. It feels like maybe it was. This is totally an assumption. It just seems like it's a little more of a uh, a whole band making the record together and just kind of like going in and, and, and pounding it out. Although that's kind of what you said the last record was, which I totally assumed it wasn't. I assumed it was like a month long. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I mean, it's that, I mean the way you're just... In, in fact, and also the production of, of uh, Don't Believe the Truth was like much much longer and much more elaborate in terms of the time opposite. the time spent so yeah I, I think i think you're right like i think there it's a, it's a bit of a i don't know if it's a paradox but like when the, the the short record turned out big and the long record turned out small you know in a way in some ways yeah i would say well, the, and this sorry go ahead oh go ahead lucas no you go ahead okay um i think with this one if i summed it up in like one word i would say it's got more intention musically I don't know if I can make that critique lyrically, but musically it all, everything feels very, um, and maybe, you know, we talked about how in the other record they learned the song that day and they recorded it. And it feels like maybe they spent more time with these songs and they sort of rounded off the edges yeah, yeah. and such. I think, I think they did. Yeah. So yeah, I would say the intentionality played well for them and you don't want to make the same record the same way over and over again, because then you're boring, you know, and you're not, doing anything new so it's cool that they uh that it sounds different and it feels different i think i think it gives the album an upper hand for sure hmm. i that's really i really love hearing your perspective especially from a musical standpoint lucas because i think it's so interesting hearing um your take sometimes to like what you're hearing from like a like a musical perspective and the production choices and even like the way the songs are structured um is something that i feel like i I absorb to a degree, but I like it's cool to hear you really distill it. And I was telling Jordan before you jumped on that I think one of your skills is like you have such an amazing brain for music, like song recall, yeah. lyrics, being able to play, play songs back. So it's interesting to hear how you absorb and take through it because I think, um, and that's part of what's fun about having conversations like this is interesting to hear the different entry points we have into a record we don't know as well and then what um, kind of what pulls us through it. So. Uh, Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about where were you at in your life and kind of what made this record connect with you when it came out? Because you were, again, you were also at a different place. You were in high school when What's the Story came out. Yeah. So at this point, you're in your, you know, you're in your mid-20s and you got a new Oasis record. Yeah, what it had to be. Yeah, and I was and I was still a, still a huge band. Uh, I was still a huge fan of the band um, and and really looking forward to i think at the time it was almost this you know absence makes the heart grow fonder and there's something going on for me where i was going back it's almost like i mean i said i'd love to be here now as a record too so i would i was listening to 
those Oasis, the early Oasis records, tons. Then dabbling with the other two that came out um, before this one had uh, Heathen Chemistry and Daniel the Shoulder of Giants. But they were just, they were not super cohesive records. There's some good, I mean, for me, there's some good singles, some good songs on each one, but they're not albums in the same way. And I think this one was just really looking forward to seeing them live again and seeing them tour and kind of hit the, you know, go out back into the world. And, and uh, so when this record came out and it felt like cohesive, it felt like a record. Um, it felt like the band was, you know, maybe not back back, but it really felt like, yeah, an intentional record and a solid record and a record. Um, and then they toured the heck out of it. I was just so ready for all of that. So, um, yeah. So at the time when the record first dropped, I remember I bought uh, plane tickets <laughs> to go to to go to New York to see them uh, play Madison Square Garden, which I did. Um, oh, awesome! Uh, with our with our mutual friend Melissa. Um, so did that way back in 2005. So that was that was just a big a big moment just to get, to go out there to see them. It was my first time in New York, also. Um, so I think that plays a little bit in, I mean, a lot probably into the, into the record for me, but also I, like, I still really like, um, a lot of the songs on the record. Um, and so, yeah, it felt like a record. I think it did, I think intentionality or intention is a good word. Um, and it felt to me a cohesive, um, and I, and I guess I would give a lot of the, the credit to the, uh, to Dave Stardy, the producer on it. So, um, yeah, so I mean, so I, I I like the record. It felt like a strong record and a, a statement. And it was, and they were, I mean, Oasis was sort of in the mix, sort of as elder statesmen, but of the garage rock revival of the early aughts. So um, like Black Rebel Motorcycle Club touring with Oasis and being, you know, fans of each other and, and this type of thing. And Dave Sardi, the producer of this record, was also the producer of Jet Get Born, I believe. Um and so I think this was them not doing a, you know, they weren't doing the hives here or something like this, but um, they were kind of coming out with like a, a pretty straight ahead rock and roll record at a time when there was a lot of really good straight ahead rock and roll records. And this was a stadium band doing something uh, like that. And I love those bands and I love that Oasis was sort of maybe moving out of the sort of the Britpop Thing, which was at that point had kind of faded out and sort of, you know, blending um, with some of this more straight ahead rock and roll. And when you listen to like what Liam was listening to at the time, it was a lot of like really early Elvis and stuff. So I don't know if it's in a more American record, but they recorded it in LA. Dave Sardi's an American, I believe. Um, they were listening to things like to you know, guys like Elvis. And there was this kind of garage rock revival happening in those years. So that's what I think was kind of in the air when this record came out. And I think it's a strong record um, in, in in those respects. But yeah, it's probably less British feeling or less Britpop feeling for sure. Like you said, it's kind of an American record. And I think I, I hear that for sure. But it's like it's like they're throwing their hat in to, to make that kind of record, like that kind of like early aughts rock and roll revival but it's also like they still carry the past with them in this record and so it gives it yeah. a different flavor and almost more mm -hmm. probably more accessible so it's probably you know commercially did more well but also for like people who didn't like that music people who are a little bit older maybe like you know people who are like now the way i hear like new music and i'm like ugh, you know people who are like getting old <laughs> Um, I feel like this record might have been, it still would have captured onto that, you know, and been maybe like exciting. Sure. 
Uh, I, yeah. I just remember my friend's dad was the one who bought the CD. Um, he was the one who bought it. It was in the car we were driving. And I remember thinking, like, your uh -huh. dad likes this? Weird. Yeah, yeah. Because I, the song I truly remember from this, Lila, obviously, but Mucky Fingers is the one I remember. Because it kind of reminded oh, me. Oh, yeah. It's a great tune. Velvet Underground. Kind of reminded me of a, I'm Waiting for My Man. You know, kind of like. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 100%. And, and I remember hearing it being like, whoa, this sounds awesome. Like, just. And yeah, kind of, I never really put the two and two together. It kind of has that garage rock. Uh, even the yeah. recording kind of has that to it. Cool. Yeah, it does. That's a really good uh, I'm, way of looking at this record. I'm here for Mucky Fingers, man. That's yeah. like a definitely a highlight track for sure for me. Also reminds you of Sticky Fingers. So clearly there's a lot of uh, role um, influence. Um, mm -hmm. and, and even it's interesting you mentioned Elvis because like I hear like Love Like a Bomb totally reminds me of like John Lennon, uh, Hide Your Love Away. Mm. Or um, what was mm. the one I wrote down? Oh, like Let There Be Love. Um, yeah. That kind of reminds me of like uh, I don't want to diss Oasis here, but like remember Robbie Williams? Like it almost had this. Oh, kind yeah. of like, I'm like I kind of hear him singing that song. Or um, yeah, anyway, there's a bunch of just I, I heard some Supergrass almost too. Like there's a few songs where I'm like, this sounds like it could be a Supergrass. Yeah, song. I can see that actually. It's weird. Yeah, that's a good call. This is a lot of yeah, yeah. a lot of like. Sorry, I just want to touch on the Robbie Williams thing. I don't know anything about Robbie Williams, and I couldn't tell you a Robbie Williams yeah. song. But he, he, there's a lot of history with him and Oasis, and he got kicked out of Take That because he was hanging out with Oasis and caught, I don't know, smoking or some photos made it in the tabloids of him hanging out with Liam backstage or whatever, and that's how he got kicked out of Take That. So and so his solo, his he, wait, they're friends. Wait, yeah. Sorry, what's Take That? And that was his group, right? It's like a Backstreet Boys of the of England, basically. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So so he was one of those guys, and he gets kicked out for being kind of a, ba a bad a bad dude for hanging out with Oasis basically, but they were like, he's a cool guy and we're friends. And so, um, anyways, and so I, I don't, I haven't heard Robbie Williams talk about the Gallagher brothers much or at all really, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, I think he attributes a lot of kind of his like solo career to like the fact that a hanging out with them got him kicked out of his band, but also I think they kind of encouraged him along. So interesting. Anyways, there's, there is actual, there is actual history there. <laughs> That's awesome. Very interesting. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of interesting, like, uh, melding of, of things to make this record. It, do, it does yeah. sort of feel well, like it, rich, like, flavors, you know? It's it's well known that Oasis is not shy about showing who their influences are yeah. or, like, explicitly. And again, that actually reminds me to that um, 33 and a third, definitely, maybe, essay book, um, where, again, Oasis is sort of likened to kind of hip-hop. But where it's like the, it's like the sample um, in, in the, in not the like kind of technical sense of bringing a piece of music over, um, uh, but would sort of incorporate it quite obviously into their songwriting. Totally. So, um, they've been likened to kind of this, it's sort of cause, you know, I don't know, this Mancunian kind of punky band who just basically stitches other people's music into their own. Yeah. I mean, like and it's Lila, it's kind of hip hop in that sense. Hmm. Yeah. The very beginning of Lila, that melody is like it's Street Fighting Man by the by the Rolling Stones, right? Every time. Which they oh, sorry, <laughs> but also they do a they do a cover of Street Fighting Man um, on uh, on one of their. Um, so if you actually want to hear them do Street Fighting Man, you can do that. Wow. It's, it's it's from uh, Be Here Now. They do that song. Okay, well um, maybe which is 
years before this, but also a great cover when we talk about Oasis covers. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I, all the covers you've mentioned so far sound awesome. I, I just was They're really surprised. Awesome. I'm like, that's like a direct melody we're both. And, and what you mentioned before with, um, right. What was the song? Uh, uh, some might say it's like that. I'm pretty sure that's like a right out of a T-Rex song. And like, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I mean, like pop music's getting more and more comfortable with uh, interpolation and yeah. stuff like that. But like, that's, I don't know. It's cool. I, I think sometimes people are like, think that's like unoriginal, but I think it's almost more hard to write a song without having the part you borrow eclipse the song, you know? That's true. I think that's a nice way to put it. I think if you can write a song that's bigger than when the one you lifted or when still is like, oh yeah, that's in there, but the song's still bigger, um, then that's a, that is a real feat. Because a lot of pop music will take a chorus that we all know and love or something we know and love, and then they'll just use that to make it a hit, you know? Or right. anyway, yeah, yeah. it feels that way. Where it's like, oh, you used it, but you just kind of shoehorned it in there to make the song more catchy. And I don't like that. But uh, it's an art form. And a lot of hip-hop does it very well, right? Hip-hop is like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Half the time, you don't even know they've used it because they've done it so well. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, probably one of my favorite moments on the whole record. And the song Love Like a Bomb. It's it's sort of like, it's got a weird structure. It doesn't have like the classic like first chorus, first. It's got like a musical interlude kind of in the middle, middle of the song. And these yeah, songs yeah. are short. So like the musical interludes, they do. It's a lot of real estate in a song to take up. And uh, Love Like a Bomb, about a minute 40 in, there's a piano interlude that is just a... Uh, every time I was like, oh, yeah, Oasis. Yeah, right. Good on you. Good on you, mate. Is that Australia? That's true. It's a really, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. I <laughs> Oh, yeah, because we're just doing moments. I mean, it's a little Yeah, yeah. A I, I, yeah, so I'll go, uh, I'll, I'll go next. So for me, I, I love the song Turn Up the Sun, the, the opener to this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the I love the um, the little kind of mellow or the um, like you say like the, the delicate kind of guitar intro uh, to the song. Oh, that's great. But my and and then when it kicks in um, at like eleven and uh, blows your face off with all the guitar tracks and things uh, coming together at the same time. But then I think the my the tastiest part of that song for me is the also the opening lyric, which is something like. Um, I carry the madness everywhere I go, over the border and back through the snow. But just the way Liam says, like, I carry the madness, is just for me also one of the coolest sounding things in music ever. So I, I, I love the I carry the madness everywhere I go um, opening lyric to the record. It just is like, it's a statement of intent and it's. Yeah, and it's awesome. It's like, oh, so you, so you know that. You know, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know we all, you're self-aware. You know, you know we all think you're mad. You, yeah, you believe well, I mean, he knows. You believe him, like you believe that he's like he can deliver it. So you believe it, but you you also because the crazy thing too is like ten years after that being the biggest band in the world and be almost like take like it seems like they're almost taking into account 
their own who they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, self-aware. Yeah. There was something Noel said in an interview that I I read for this that he said uh, definitely maybe was about us wanting to be in mm-hmm. a rock and roll band and what's the story is about being in a rock and roll band and maybe this record don't believe the truth is about having you know, been in a rock and roll band. Yes. I think you're right, Lucas. I love that you mentioned about something feeling a bit like fresher about this record where it is because you do have new members. I mean, they're not new at this point. They've done a couple records together, but just, it sounds like, a. I mean, they're whatever late thirties or however they however old they're when they wrote this record, but it does feel like a band who was trying to find their fight again. Um, and, and like, they're trying to kind of re recapture, recapture it a bit. Um, and so, Kale, to your point, that I mean, it's like you have already climbed the mountain. So, so then what? And and I gotta be honest, when I saw the two records, I was like, oh, I, I wonder why I chose. Like, I knew it was something personal to you, but I was kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. I was not really looking forward to listening to this record. I was like, it's gonna be one of those like washed up records that like someone has like an emotional attachment to, but it kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. But then totally didn't. Like, I, I'm, yeah, I totally like got four tracks in this record i was like hey i'm ready i'm ready to hear the rest of it and it's a pretty short record so it's not like it's too uh mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so what about you Kale? Think, Taste- oh sorry go ahead oh and i was just gonna say uh <clears throat> to your point there too lucas jordan and i went jordan and i had you know we were chatting through this the record is a bit and i know jordan came into this very intentionally too about and i think like for jordan all your love of this band i think you have some good self-awareness around it too like you're not gonna like standing on the shoulder of giants you're not like gonna ride or die for that record you know you can kind of see the fault in oasis too but you're also like i think the concept around what's the story is sort of the original oasis at the height of their powers like you said earlier Mm -hmm. and then this is them and the new iteration at the height of their powers um makes it feel also like you know like it makes sense as a as a head-to-head uh but for me, yeah, the, a, a tasty treat on this was um, the the melody in Guess God Thinks I'm Able. Hmm. I think there's a pretty cool, like, subtle melody in that song. I, I think it's cool that Liam wrote it. I think, you know, uh, <laughs> a not tasty treat for me. Nasty, a nasty Jam, jam. Or most of the lyrics on um, Love is a Love is a Bomb Like Love I like think, a bomb uh, Love like a bomb I just really <laughs> Had a hard time with that song And uh, I think sometimes One of the things I find A little bit of a challenge With Oasis Sometimes in the songwriting Is that And more so in this record even Is that they are Trying to write so simply and like plain spokenly but like the balance of like being direct and forceful and then being direct but not really feeling like you're saying much like i think mm-hmm. like i think the the right they think the, the musicianship on love like a bomb is cool but i really think the lyrics are pretty like high school in some ways and like that's kind of what i thought of and like i wasn't surprised when that was like oh that's one of liam's yeah like, i get that makes sense like it just doesn't feel very in my opinion, it just doesn't feel very um, well-developed from a lyrical standpoint. And that's something I find so interesting when you're this band, where it's like, how do you kind of write about the experience of the everyman in England who has sort of like been your biggest supporter? 
when you've been the biggest band in the world for like 10 years. Because like, there were times when it felt like Oasis was trying to put on like a jacket that felt like it was maybe a little too small for him. Like, like uh, there's one song in particular. Anyway, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here. Uh, but this is the Tasty Treat. But I think the when uh, Guess God Thinks I'm Able, I think the melody, that is a great, it's a really well-written song. And I think that is a great um, an example where Liam, I think, really nailed it and kind of plays into being the, uh, the Cain and Abel relationship where it's like the, mm-hmm. these two brothers that like want to kill the, kill each other. And I was like, what a, co- what a cool biblical reference to make between his relationship with his own brother where it's so fraught. I thought that was really tasty. Yeah, it's also interesting that you're in a band with your brother and you're writing a song about your brother and your relationship. I thought that was like really crazy, crazy weird, like kind of meta thing going on. Actually, my <laughs> next oh, yeah. tasty treat is actually from God... Guess God thinks I'm able as well. Right at the end of that song, they give you this weird build-up fake-out with all the distortion and feedback, and then you do that one line, and then it, you think it's going to happen again, but then the song is over. That is a very strange choice to make, but I love it. Mm. Right at the end, it just gets really loud and like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I don't know what. Like that's yeah, very, very interesting choice, and. You know, it's something you don't do as like a pop group, you know? So I'm just like, yeah. Every time I hear it, I'm like, here it comes. Boom. It's kind of just like a big uh, like exclamation point at the end of a otherwise pretty uh, like tame song. Something I would say um, is just a general comment that I, I think I maybe appreciated more comparing the two records was, uh, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, but was Noel's vocal performance on this record in general. I think mm-hmm. he's very strong on the songs he, he sings. Uh, and, and I think this record, I like Noel more than I like probably at any other time in, uh, in, in uh, across kind of the Oasis discography. So yeah, his like monkey fingers, uh, performance is like ab- just absolute killer. Yeah. And, um, importance of being idle too. So I, I think, um, and I think part of the cue he, he sings like there's, uh, and then I, and you mentioned, uh, let there be love as a, uh, and I guess I'm kind of going all over the place now too, but you mentioned let there be love as a Robbie Williams song, but I love that song. And you know, like, okay. And, and the two brothers singing it, uh, back and forth, you know, uh, both singing that song too. Um, so I, I just love Noel on this record, even though I'm not, I'm team Liam, mm-hmm. but I love Noel on this record. Uh, I love his songs. like, the songs he wrote, the songs he sings, um, are, 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 are awesome. Um, or, you know, as far as Noel goes for me, this is peak Noel. They're trying some interesting stuff. And, and, and I read that they actually recorded a whole record's worth of songs and then yeah. scrapped them and then did this. Yeah. This new producer. Right, they, yeah. were, they, yeah. they started recording this record with Death in Vegas, right? Yeah. Which is crazy. Like the biggest band to record with like this weird experimental duo is this. What a choice. So, okay, so so there's a bit of, I mean, in, like, the Oasis world, there's quite a bit of, like, lore about the Death in Vegas sessions. Uh, and if, I don't know if you, either of you guys are very familiar with Death in Vegas. but I know, like, two songs. <laughs> so cool. And um, and Liam uh, is a vo- you know, does vocals for one Death in Vegas tune called, uh, I believe, Scorpio Rising. And you should listen to it. It's awesome and i i don't know where that fits in the timeline if they did that song with liam and then they just thought they thought like well hey maybe we should think about working these guys for a record but it's a um it's a super cool like droney kind of psychedelic track and it starts off with the lyric 
when you like when you kiss the base of my spine. And anyways, it's a super cool track, and um, and, and that's Liam with Death in Vegas. And Death in Vegas in general is is, is super neat, especially on that period. Yeah, that song is recorded two thousand two. Two thousand two. So that's before. So that would have been that's been before the, this record, yeah. and and probably would have maybe been the the maybe why they wanted to kind of work together, perhaps as, as a cool. producer. It would have been a totally different record, and yeah, it would have been so cool. It just sounds like yeah, for whatever reason they binned it, and then they kind of, so that would have been like kind of psychedelic and, and and quite weird, and then yeah, then they ended up kind of going the jet garage rock. Dave Sardi, L.A. route. So it's a completely different direction, and who knows what... We'll probably get the Death in Vegas version in, like, another mm, 20... Well, the 20-year anniversary is coming up. Maybe we'll get it then. I, I mean, I would... I would be so curious, but that... I, Both you guys, uh, or anyone listening, should listen to that uh, Liam track with Death in That's Vegas. Cool. It's really cool. It's a single... I mean, it's a single in its own right. I screenshot really it. interesting. So I, I know, I... I love stories like that where you like the what ifs or like, or, or the what happens, but that have never been heard, you know? Yeah. Like there was a guy who was in a band called uh, the Silver Jews, David Berman. Oh yeah. He came to Vancouver and he recorded a whole record with Dan Behar and the, mm. all the guys that played in Black Mountain did a whole record with them um, and then decided not to release it because he wasn't happy with it and then ended up recording it with Bonnie Prince Billy. He recorded a record with mm. him down in the States, but I know, I, I sort of know someone who's heard those demos and he said, they're awesome. And I was like, Oh, dude, dude, like, uh, like, I don't, like I heard him talk about it on a podcast, but I was like, dude, you heard those. I was like, yeah, that's and sorry. Silver Jew's dead is guy's dead, right? Yeah. He, 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 yeah, he killed himself uh, when purple mountains came out, um, which was the record that, which was the last record he released. So it's also even crazier because like, not even crazy, but like, like he released, he almost released the record he released here, which ended up being his last record, but he didn't. Uh, right. Didn't go forward with it. But it was just like one of those things where it's like, but yeah, those sure. exist here. And like those uh, Death in Vegas Oasis sessions exist somewhere for sure. But they're probably under yeah. like lock and key in a vault somewhere. Well, one day. Who knows? But yeah, I, 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 I'd love, I'd love, I mean, I'd love, I'd be so curious to hear them. Uh, release sure. the yeah, Vegas maybe. tapes. All right, okay. so here and zero. Um, let's start with our zeros again. I think it's always good to start with the bad stuff, the bad news, you know? If someone ever asked me, do you want the good news or bad news first? I always say bad news because I want to end on the hero. So uh, I chose the importance of being idle as my zero. Hmm. Uh, I think it just is fascinating. Just a little bit of goofiness in it. Yeah, and I, that's I, true. I don't know. It kind of took me out of the rest of the record. And that's kind of the only reason I can give. Um, yeah, it was, it, I think I say this every time, but this truly was. I was like, I listened, when I listened to the record today, I was like, okay, well, I, we're doing it tonight. I got to choose a zero. Um, do you think it could have been the falsettos? Because those were definitely uh, tough for me. Yeah. yeah, a little bit maybe. I think it's just the overall feel, the overall kind of guitar. Um, I don't know the word for it, but it... There's like that whistle in it, too, I isn't do, there? Yeah, whistling's always almost... A, it's rare 
that you can pull that off and, and it sounds it, it sounds makes the song better. Yeah. <laughs> what about you guys? So my zero uh, was Love Like a Bomb. Oh. Yeah. Not a fan. I, uh, I like that song. So wasn't a fan. I wasn't bad. a fan. I and, and it was honestly, and it was for me that was just the lyrics of that one. Like uh what what are they? I <laughs> Let me look it up. Love like a bomb lyrics. It's just, it's just like every time I listened to it, I was like, the song itself and like some of the delivery um, was interesting for, for sure. Um, but girl, I'm feeling and breathing in love all the time. You you turn me on, you turn me on, your love's like a bomb, you're blowing my mind. Like it was just like, yeah, <laughs> come on. When like, you read them like that, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Your love's like a bomb. You're like, I was just like, come on, dude. Like, it just felt like too obvious, I guess. And that's where I just felt like there wasn't, um, I don't know. It felt like they were trying to write a rock song and it just didn't, lyrically, it just didn't work for me. But that line between like cheesy um, and, and you know, something that works is very fine. Sometimes it, it nails it. It's just for me, that one just didn't didn't land. It just bugged me. So, uh, well, thanks but, for being honest. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting very personal. Like, like, I feel like it's, a very, safe, it's a safe place. Jordan, how about you? What's your what's your zero off this record? <clears throat> yeah, I feel like if I'm honest too, there's probably a couple of these songs and, and probably a couple of the Liam ones. I think if they could have swapped out for like another like mega kind of stomper big song. Like I, I, I think the record would feel probably quite a bit stronger. It does maybe lose a little bit in the middle there, but um, so I, I, I could see what you mean uh, about love like a bomb. I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm team Liam. So I'm rooting for the guy and to see him kind of like actually show up for this record with three songwriting credits um, is, is like, is super cool. Um, Noel's like a real hard guy to get a, rec- a song through. So, um, so I'm proud of, as it goes, I'm kind of proud of Liam, but I think his songs are, are, are weaker, um, in, in general. So just to be a bit different, maybe I'll just take the meaning of soul as my zero. Um, only cause it's also, it's, I mean, it's a super short song. It's like, it's, it's a, almost barely a song in that respect, but, um, it is just so, um, you know, it's just, a, a series of exclamation points and then, and then the song's kind of over. Um, again, I, I kind of like it, but if I had to pick a zero, um, I can see what you mean by love, like a bomb. I think there's something sweet about it. And I think it's an, I think if you sing it to somebody or if you've ever felt that feeling, it's like, it's relatable. Um, I think meaning of soul, he's just going for like, I'm just, I'm cool as I'm a cool dude. And, and that's the point of the song. So, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just, Maybe I'll just make that my zero, even though I, I, I like it overall. But yeah, I, 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 in my notes for this too, I wrote for Meaning of Soul. Uh, I was like, some interesting elements of garage rock here, um, but it feels like it's reaching too hard for what it's trying to say. And I think that was something about that song that I, I as well like kind of struggle with mm. in that one particularly. But I, I hear you, Jordan, and I, and I can't deny that like i i can totally appreciate being like you're like i'm i'm riding for you're like all right liam's got a couple like that's yeah great. you know i get i totally get that i could appreciate yeah 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 and he's and he's had a couple before but they weren't they were they were less than than this group so 
anyways, I was just, I was kind of happy for him. But yeah, I think if, I think if we could do it all over again, I'd swap one, 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 of, the, one of those out for something else. I've always wondered why God didn't just combine the brothers and just make one that's a great singer and songwriter. Lowell Gallagher. I mean, Noel probably thinks so, he's both. I mean, and the, the yeah, truth is, Lowell. in their own respect, they are both. They're both good. It's just I always thought it was so interesting yeah. that most of the time it was one guy writing the song, the other guy. That's how life works. Then, yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? Which, yeah, isn't it though? Speaking of yeah. life, uh, heroes, the givers of life, songs that help you wake up oh, in yeah. the morning. I gotta say, uh, no question, it's uh, mucky fingers for me. I mean, I think I already said that before, mm. basically. But um, when we. Um, Side of this record, I, I, I was hesitant, but then I remember I put the record on. And I was like, "Oh yeah, this is the one that we used to listen to in the car that has this song on it." So yeah, I love that song. It's it's almost kind of thrashy at some points, which is something I don't, you don't see Oasis getting too thrashy often. So yeah, it's, I love that track. It's, it's super stompy kind of tune, yeah, right? Just, it's a stompy, punky just tune. Just like goes forward, full blast the whole time. Yeah. I think that's a great choice, Lucas. I really love that song. It's uh, really fun. A great second track, too. Like, kind of sets the yeah. tone well. You know, you're in for rock and roll record. I went with a song that we have not talked about yet, but I really liked a lot. And every time I listened to the record, I was like, oh, yeah. I think I was like, is this my favorite one? I was like, oh, yeah, this is my favorite one. But Keep the Dream Alive is my hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah good choice. I, that's a good song I really like Keep the Dream Alive a lot I think it's more in the ballad territory again maybe even harkening a little bit back to the story but like the vocals are like rough and inviting it's Liam right this is Liam on this one uh, I'm, I'm singing yes yeah, it is yeah. I, I, could, I was like he really sounds a lot gruffer than Noel and like even more so than he did before which I like I like you know I like a gruff vocal um, but I'm really drawn into a good build, and I feel like this song is just like heaps of, you know, you know, build and momentum. And I just think, like, yeah. I love, I love it. It's a really great, really great song. Yeah, I mean, so the song was written by um, "Keep the Dream Alive" is written by Andy Bell, and Andy Bell uh, played bass in Oasis. So I'm wondering if he wrote the song and also played the bass. It's possible he didn't. But also, I think one of the things I would want to say about this record that I think, so I know this isn't the exercise, but my three favorite songs on here are all non Gallagher songs. Um, so turn up the sun, which I love turn up the sun. That's, that's probably my hero turn up the sun first track. Um, but, uh, that's written by Andy Bell and then keep the dream alive, which would be my other hero is written by uh, Andy Bell. And then another song, which I love is a bell will ring. Um, which is the song after that, before Let There Be Love. And that's written by Gem Archer. So I think my three favorite songs in this record are two written by Andy Bell and one written by Gem. So, uh, and for those who don't know, Andy Bell, before joining Oasis, uh, was in a band called, well, anyways, he was in a band called Hurricane Number no. 1, um, which sounds a lot like Oasis, actually also signed to Creation Records. But before that, uh, Andy Bell was in Ride, and now he's in Ride again. So... Um, anyways, I, so I guess all that to say, and then uh, Gem was in a band called Heavy Stereo before joining Oasis, which is also a Creation Records band. Um, but all that to say, my favorite part of this uh, record, I think, is um, 
hearing non-Oasis guys writing Oasis songs. So right, mm-hmm. basically hearing Ride writing Oasis songs. Which is super is interesting. Probably my favorite part of this record. Like, again, kind of reminds me of the uh, Velvet Underground Loaded, just that they have, like, other songwriters on their record. Mm. Yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Here we are, friend, at the end once again. Which album is the album that wins the prize of being the winner on this podcast? If we have a fisticuffs, who's taken home the the fist? You know? Yeah. You know, which one's the stronger album? Um, I would say for me... You want to kick... Yeah, why don't you kick us off? I I would say for me, I, I just... I thought it'd be no questions. I just thought, what's the story of Morning Glory? It's like... It's a touchstone for rock and roll from the 90s forever. It's going to be, as we get further and further away from the 90s, you know, if you're zooming out, eventually in 100 years, it might be the only record that would stand, you know? It's such a monster of a record. But the one one I enjoyed listening to more and the one I'm probably going to revisit more is is, uh, Don't Believe the Truth. And so for me, I, 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 I'm really surprised to say it, but uh, that's my winner. And pretty clear cut, you know, I, I actually looked forward to this. I, like, I know I'll listen to it again soon uh, because the songs are in my head and I want to hear them again. Whereas, and this is also just nostalgia and the timing of my life and the, old, the record being older, but that record was a little more tired on me. I, I, the record itself is not a tired record, but I'm a little tired of it. For what the story so yeah uh that's one point in the ring for don't believe the truth which also great album name you know for the times we were living in the last four years mm-hmm. you know or even the pandemic and, and vaccination and all that it's an interesting sentence very interesting like it's very interesting choice there I like it. I like the, I like I like the makes sense. Makes sense. And even if it doesn't to you, I don't care because I'm right. <laughs> yeah, it's so spicy at the end of an episode. What yeah. about you, Kel? Uh, I would say that for me, it's definitely what's the story of Morning Glory. I think is the strongest record here. I think there are a lot of elements at play. For sure, a big nostalgia element. Um, obviously, it's considered like one of the biggest. Uh, it's like maybe considered the record of the '90s. But one thing I wrote down, like when I when I was first thinking about, like just kind of doing notes in my phone, it's like Monster Records. The first thing that comes to mind, uh, and I think they were a very different band from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Um, but for their era in that part of the '90s. They were that band for the UK. And, you know, I wouldn't say that they were that band for the world, but someone could make the argument and they would have some room to stand on. And I think that's on a lot of the power of what's the story and just sort of this like alchemy of all the great songwriting, the big choruses, the relentless touring, 
with also the time that it came out. So I just feel like for me, if I was revisiting these two, I enjoyed listening to um, What's the Story More, even though I agree it is a little bit like a sweatshirt that's been through the wash a few too many times, but it's still really comfortable. And I feel like that's the one I'd rather put on if I'm if I'm choosing between the two. But yeah, definitely enjoyed some tracks a lot of Don't Believe the Truth, uh, for sure. But I did. I think if I had to pick one, for me, it's What's the Story for sure. Well, Jordan, break the tie, buddy. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, God. This is, yeah, so this is, for me, this is really tough. I, I think, I like, I'm going to, I come, I feel like my actual answer is like somewhere in the super sort of sloppy middle. The, uh, if I have to like cut the records in some way, I like the, 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 the ballady type, the, the, the epic songs on What's the Story of Morning Glory, just so much more epic and they're just such bigger songs. Um, That's very true. But those aren't my favorites. But those aren't my favorite songs on that record. My favorite songs on that record are still the the like the bangers, the the roll of it and uh, hello and um, morning glory. So if I put those up against the bangers on don't believe the truth, which is I guess what I'm going to kind of do here is put those songs, which I love, up against for me turn up the sun, but also yeah you can put monkey fingers in there and um, keep the dream alive and a bell will ring and. Some of those tunes, like I th- and, and even Lila, uh, which is a fun stadium kind of tune. Totally. I like for me, you could make the argument that "Don't Believe the Truth" wins on the bangers. And so if I go bangers against bangers in those two records, I think "Don't Believe the Truth" could win in a by a smidge. So I'm going to say "Don't Believe the Truth" over "What's the Story," even though yes. I, I love that record too. So what do you know? What do you know? Wow! wow. Unexpected turn of events. Some some guys driving in his truck right now, listening, who's like an Oasis fan, like what? That's crazy. Yeah, he's banging on some, the steering. Some British, some British guy just drove his lorry off the road, and he's driving on the wrong side of the road anyway. And he's, yeah, that's yeah, so that's, that's on him. <laughs> Why? Wow. Well, Jordan, it feels good to be on the same team. Uh, that leaves us for mm-hmm. one last question. With one last question here, and that is uh, a question that might be the most important we asked tonight, and that is right now, today, in this moment. What are you vibing? What's something you're into right now? What's something you're consuming? Or if you're kale, just what's something that exists in the universe? Just something you're into right now. Uh, yeah. Um, kale, why don't you go first? I'm really vibing baths right now. <laughs> I'm vibing a good bath, you know, I've been really stressed out, you know, a little bit lately with work and, uh, and I just feel like my days are very full and, you know, way to shut down is, you know, get myself a beer and a little sparkling water, head upstairs, you know, put on the bath hot and just current crank it down to middle, just the last fourth, got a couple of eucalyptus, uh, Epsom salts, bourbon there, put on like, uh, some like low key, like, you know, kind of hipster ambient music that like is for growing plants. And then I, you know, pull out like a library book and I just sit in the bath and bliss out for a couple hours. It's great. Uh, I am vibing. Um, my wife just wanted to watch a show on uh, Crave. I don't know if it's like a Crave original or HBO original or what it is. It's called Couples Therapy and it's just real therapy sessions with a very amazing therapist. And she just does therapy with couples and it is like I feel like I'm learning as much 
is when I've gone to therapy about myself is watching these people go through therapy. It is an incredible uh, show. I mean, like, if you're into that kind of stuff, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And, and there's a, a few real characters on there. So, you know, if you're wanting to watch really? something that's a little different than what you normally watch, Couples Therapy, man, it's, it's a really cool show. And I, I think there's a, a second... Yeah, it's a lot cheaper than real therapy. I can, I can tell you that from experience. And best for last, Jordan, what are you vibing? Oh man, I I I'm, I don't feel prepared for this, but I, I would say music like musically, I've talked about this with Kale, I think, but I've just been really getting into um, also a huge fan of like um, Spaceman Three. Maybe we could do one of those one day. Uh, Spaceman Three and sort of splitting into a spiritualized and this guy Sonic Boom, and so I've been just tracking Sonic Boom a lot lately and listening to a lot of his music and artists that he's worked with so i mean i, I know maybe i should have something else other than music no but usually musically usually i'm, music I'm, is I'm a big spending one. okay so usually i i yeah so lately i've been listening to a lot of um sonic boom stuff and he just brought a new a new record so i've just been really loving um pete peter kember pete kember is his name i guess and I've just been loving stuff he's been working on in his own projects and spectrum and sonic boom his kind of solo names and then yeah so i've just kind of been really getting into his universe musically cool. the last while um because yeah there's lots there's lots there over the years so yeah i just been i've been vibing sonic boom cool lately thanks uh thanks so much jordan for coming on speaking and educating us all things oasis and that was a lot of fun guys really cool to dig into these uh seminal well one seminal and one sort of uh rock and roll you know come back come back so that was really cool all right guys all right see you guys okay see you like and subscribe like and subscribe like and subscribe like and subscribe